I think of nurses as the front line of the front line. They're the first to see a person with severe COVID symptoms when they come into a hospital emergency room. And because families haven't been allowed to visit loved ones, it's nurses at their bedsides to comfort them. Aram Chagala is a trauma and emergency room nurse at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. And she says while COVID emissions are dropping, the burnout for many nurses is getting worse. Hi, Aram. First, I want to say thank you so much as a nurse and a frontline worker for taking care of our health over the past 17 months. I think that uh, we've all learned a lot about, about what nurses do, and we'll get into that a little more into, into the interview. But I just want to thank you and your colleagues so much for, for doing what you've done for Canadians over the, the past year and a half. How are you doing today? Uh, just one day at a time, really. It's it's just taking one step at a time, one breath at a time, one day at a time. That's the way that I, I like to view things now. How has your job changed or how does so you're an emergency trauma nurse and i know that we often think of the the nurses and the and the doctors who are on in icu with covid patients but what's happened to you as well and your ability to be able to treat people coming into er over the last year and a half has also been has also significantly changed yes that's right um, a lot has actually changed i mean the emergency departments in general have always had um, an influx of individuals coming in with various emergencies. But ever since the COVID-19 pandemic has started, um, you know, we've experienced um, a heavy acuity of patients coming in with a lot of symptoms. Um, you know, we've had to outsource our testing to COVID-19 testing centers that are linked with hospitals. Um, we've seen a lot of heavy acuity with these patients. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done with them in, in addition to the comorbidities they already have. COVID-19 is a very novel disease. And so it's routes in terms of what it does to um, patients and um, exacerbating those symptoms uh, varies from patient to patient. But of course, the most important symptom that um, a lot of us are concerned about is when individuals come in with severe shortness of breath. So um, we have a lot of work to do on these individuals. We get them prepared for the ICU. We actually sometimes have had to act as an ICU. So we've had to actually care for ICU patients while they're on life support, they're intubated or on high flow oxygen apparatuses. Um, so we've taken that heavy responsibility. Um, we've always dealt with critical care patients, but of course, sometimes because the ICUs have been so um, backed up with no beds, we have had to take that responsibility and make the ER into an ICU as well, um, to the point that even hospitals couldn't accommodate. There were so many patients coming in that even there, there was no movement. We just couldn't move any of the patients um, upstairs to um, another area where they could be allocated to be admitted in. They were staying in the ER with long, long stays. Um, it even came to a point where we had to transport these patients out of the GTA hospital to other hospitals. Um, it's It's been quite challenging, you know, when you have a lot more acuity, but it's also a lot more stress on the department and, and the staff as well. 
it's been mostly COVID-19 patients coming through emergency. You haven't been able to see, and I know it's been stressful on, on people and families who are experiencing other types of illness who have been discouraged from going to emergency or just outright said, you can't come to emergency. We do not have the capacity to help you. It's, it's not that we discourage people to come in. It's like we have seen other emergencies equally, like individuals who are having a stroke, um, someone that traumas, car accidents, motorcycle accidents, abdominal pain, um, chest pain, people that need to go to a catheterization lab because they're about to have a heart attack. So we do as equally provide treatment to those patients as well. Um, I think what's been discouraged is that if it's a very minor thing, um, like a minor emergency that can wait, then we say, okay, have a virtual visit with your family doctor. But of course, even when patients have sought that route as well, they're usually advised to go straight to an emergency department. So we have had a very heavy influx of patients. Um, and what's also, I think, really interesting as well is that since a lot of the family clinics, family health uh, practitioner clinics, family doctor clinics that have um, shut down during the pandemic, uh, they people just don't have a choice. Uh, if they're running out of prescription uh, antihypertensives or blood pressure medications, for example. My um, father-in-law passed away in February, the beginning of February, so just before COVID hit. And uh, in, 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 I mean, obviously losing him was horrible, but at least we were allowed to be there. And the, the other factor that we really noticed was that it was the nurses who we saw all the time. They were the people who connected with us. They were the people who told us what was going on, where, where Gord was in his progression. Uh, he had a, a, a stroke. And we never saw the doctor because they, you know, doctors are doing their rounds and so on. And this, I'm not dissing doctors in any way, shape or form, because I realize that it's also been extremely hard on them. But in thinking about the, the job of a nurse in a hospital, you really kind of truly are the front line. I mean, you're the front of the front line. And I think that People have, have gotten to know a lot more about, about what the nursing profession is, but at the same time, you're dealing with some pretty, pretty difficult situations with PPE gear, gear on and the whole thing. And that's often the, you're the person that the, that the, the person who has COVID is seeing. That's it. How was that for you as a nurse? How do you deal with that kind of a situation? Well, I mean, we need to have our PPE to be protected. Um, it's not only to protect us, but it's also pr to protect the patient as well. Um, often what's been expressed, uh, and I say this on behalf of my colleagues, for instance, is the fear of not only contracting the disease yourself, but also spreading it across the department or like, you know, then causing an outbreak or bringing it home to your loved ones. 
Um, it's also been really difficult where a lot of family members can't come in because there's a no visitation policy. So it's very difficult, especially if you have a loved one that they just saw normal maybe a few days ago and all of a sudden they're, they're COVID positive, they couldn't breathe, they're now on life support, they're intubated, they're on a ventilator, um, and they're not able to come in to be by their loved one's bedside. Um, you know, so we're the physical presence for that patient and that family. We're like the middleman for that family and we're the physical presence for them. And often we've had communication lines via phone or FaceTime so that they could at least see their loved one. And so we explain to them, okay, so this is them on life support, they're on a ventilator. And I often usually tell family members that they may not be able to see you, but they can still hear you. So please talk to them, no matter what it is that you wanna say, just talk to them, they can still hear you. Um, and that's usually what we encourage. Um, you also mentioned that you saw a lot of nurses quite often. So nurses have um, you know, always been frontline, especially with emergency trauma workers. We are the first line that you see when you come into a hospital. So we are the front line. And of course, every other nurse's front line as well. But emergency trauma is different because when you first take that step into the hospital, you go through an ER. Um, Doctors are also essential, but I think nurses are a heavy, um, important aspect and should always be a focused aspect of any healthcare team. I often feel that nurses and has been nursing and nurses have been considered a forgotten profession, um, but should not be um, because nurses have had to endure a lot. It's already a very challenging profession and the pandemic has made it even more challenging. So when I say this also on behalf of myself and my colleagues, um, it's been a very emotionally challenging year um, for a lot of us. A lot of us won't openly express that, but you know, we feel that. We may not speak it, but we really do feel that. We feel that heart to heart. We see a lot of things. We've seen things that you can't even imagine during this pandemic, but a lot of people just choose not to vocalize it. And sometimes there's people and individuals like you know, my colleagues who have decided to leave the profession because of heavy burnout. So turnover and, and, and stress from this pandemic is, is not a surprise. Um, you know, a lot of people have chosen to branch into a different form of nursing so that they don't have to deal with the emotional trauma of seeing patients and families suffer. So they go into um, a different form of nursing or they just decide that they wanna leave nursing altogether because it's too much. It's been a lot, it's way too much to handle. Um, so that's basically what it's been like for the last 17 months. You've always been in a very high stress uh, nursing position, being in ER and and trauma. How has the and again, I, this is a sense I have. I don't I don't know if other you know everybody feels this way, but I feel like frontline worker became something that people started to recognize. We never thought of nurses or doctors as frontline workers. And when we started to think that way, it took a while for people to understand what a front, you know, a frontline worker is. And I feel like we're not recognizing as much anymore as 
what frontline workers are going through because we we feel we're really truly this time seeing it the end of the tunnel. And we know that hospital um, admissions are down, ICU patients are down. From your perspective, has your workload changed? Has your stress changed? I don't think a lot of our stress has changed. I think it's still very much there. It's It's very present. A lot of people have expressed that. I just feel like a lot of people are seeing things on a different page compared to healthcare professionals. Um, You know, yes, there may be a light at the end of the tunnel, but I just don't think we've reached it there quite yet. Um, It's always going to be a bit of a slow progression um, getting there. And, you know, I I think that the stress is still going to be there because we're aware of this disease. We know this disease exists, but what's also on top of that is that there's many variants that exist of this disease. And so the way that these variants are multiplying and going out there and people are getting infected and people are getting even sicker with certain types of variants, I think increases the stress in terms of how do we handle that now? So yes, we have identified COVID. Yes, we've identified what we need to do, how we protect ourselves, how we need to warn the public what they need to do. Yes, we've implemented or attempted to implement lockdown measures and so forth and certain stages and when we need to go back into lockdown, but then the next stress level is, is okay, well, now we have variants, so what do we do? And then of course, there's the idea of, you know, making sure that individuals are vaccinated. Are we going to obtain herd immunity with vaccinations? Um, is that even possible? Um, so these are a lot of questions that conjure up in your mind. Yeah, we've done so well in Canada um, moving forward with vaccinations and getting a lot of people vaccinated in the last couple of months. But now we've hit kind of the wall of the number because we're now into vaccine hesitancy. And even that, even some people who had a first shot are yeah, hesitant to get a second shot. So from a medical per- perspective, as a professional, that must be uh, pretty worrisome for you, especially when you're you're seeing those variants. They're, they're, they're hypothetical to a lot of us, right? Delta is kind of hypothetical to a lot of people, um, but you're you're seeing that. And I know that hospitals do provide um, some counseling, some stress and mental health counseling, but at the same time, you're working so many hours. Uh, is, is there time? Are they providing enough mental health counseling? Is the stress and burnout just beyond what on-the-job counseling can can help? So they have what's called an employment assistance program, and there's a limited number of sessions, I believe, that you can use. But I think that I do realize that it's 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 a start, but I just don't think it's going to be enough to cover up the damage and the trauma that it's done, the psychological trauma and, and the damage that it's done emotionally to a lot of um frontline workers. I I really don't think it's going to be enough because there's too much. I mean, nursing has always been a challenging profession and this has made it even more challenging. So I really think that there needs to be a step up and they need to provide more programs or they need to have more support groups or, or something to, um, really look after our frontline workers because we're looking after everybody else, but who's taking care of us we have to fight for ourselves sometimes. So it's it's been really difficult. It's really hard. Yeah. 
And post-traumatic stress is going to be a big thing that maybe nurses um, and frontline workers didn't deal with before. I know I've talked to um, a firefighter who said there's a lot of PTSD with firefighters because they're constantly running into a burning building, not knowing what they're going to find there. And it occurs to me that there's a you know a great comparison there with the frontline nurses, uh, frontline workers and nurses at hospitals is you just don't know from day to day what you're what you're going to be dealing with. So beyond COVID, if we do get it to a, a, a stage where if we start to see it in really under control, you're going to be left with that kind of post-traumatic stress disorder it's not just going to be like, okay, it's good now. No, it's always going to be there. And if there's healthcare professionals that already have that already have pre-existing mental health problems, then this is just going to exacerbate it even worse. It's never just going to be going away. It's, It's not just like you start with a clean slate. Okay, let's go. No, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be ingrained because like I've said earlier, um, we've seen some things that you can't really imagine. Um, the The numbers were shocking. The number of people that were sick coming in were shocking. People don't fabricate shortness of breath. People don't want to be on a ventilator. People no. don't want to be intubated. That's not that's not a comfortable thing. That's a very that's painful. You know, we have to sedate people to be on ventilators and be on life support to help them breathe. This is a very atrocious disease. Even people that recover, become COVID recovered, they also exhibit complications where they have clots in their body or they end up having stroke-like symptoms, which you'd think they just had a stroke, but it's actually from COVID. So it's, there's a lot of things. Um, and th- I think this, and I, it's not a surprise to me if people decide to leave the profession or go on leave, leave, go on a stress leave after, or even during the pandemic. One of the numbers that I saw the registered nursing association in Ontario was just on a survey. And one of the, the numbers that I saw that I thought was kind of concerning is one of the highest number, the age range that they're seeing of nurses leaving or wanting to leave the profession are nurses between sort of the ages of, I think it was 25 and, and around 35. So 25, we're really talking about nurses who have just graduated and starting the, the job. So we're not going to see new, new nurses coming into the profession to even um, make up for nurses who are just at retirement age. They're, they're not making a decision to leave because of stress or burnout or COVID. They're just simply at retirement age and are you concerned? Do you see that as something that we're just not going to see the new nurses coming in that the, that the hospital system is going to need? That is concerning because these are individuals who have just started their career. And now it's been so stressful that they're just leaving or they're considering they, they've left or they're considering on leaving after this pandemic slows down or they probably are leaving very soon. So it is concerning. However, um, like I said earlier, nursing has always been a challenging profession. So turnover in the profession is very common. Um, and so they need to have better incentives to retain nurses. But of course, the pandemic has made it worse. So yes, it is concerning. In terms of are they going to replace those nurses? Um, if I understand correctly, I think there's been a study recently where enrollment numbers in nursing schools have actually increased since the pandemic. Some hospitals are now offering incentives. You mentioned incentives. Some hospitals are offering, you know, cash incentives. I believe in Ottawa, one of the hospitals is offering 
$10,000 incentive for nurses. Uh, do you think that that's going to help? I mean, not saying, hey, here's some more money, but we're not going to solve the, the the problem you have with stress and burnout. So I think it's honestly, okay, so at first glance, when you have a first look at it, on the surface, it looks like a good incentive, you know, it pulls nurses, it attracts staff, it attracts people with skills to say, okay, wow, so I get a sign-on bonus, plus I get paid, and maybe some places also offer, you know, to pay for boarding and lodging, but then if you really think about it, it's a band-aid solution or a short-term fix for a long-term problem, because what's going to happen after the pandemic. And what's really sad is that, you know, nurses back then would say, I want to go here and work because I love the scenic beauty, or I want to work here because I love the city, or I just want to have an experience and work here. But now you have to use an incentive to attract people with skills to work because you have no staff. And there's such high turnover. People are leaving the profession because of the stress, the, the, the burnout, um, feeling tired. It's, it's too much. Um, and I think that's really sad. And I think the other thing that we need to be focusing on more is how do you retain your current staff? How do you keep them? How do you keep what you already have or who you already have? You know, I think the, how it's not fair with the way that nurses have not been recognized. And, and I think the unequal distribution of pay, the unfair pay has made nurses really upset because it's, it doesn't really reflect the recognition that nurses deserve. Certainly not now. I mean, I think nurses have always deserved respect because uh, I've never been in the hospital, but my parents and my, and like I said, my father-in-law, and that's when you really saw it's, it's not only that you are there all the time, it's, it's the type of work you do. I mean, you, the, the medical help that you give to the patients is, it's the mainstay for those those patients. Do you see that the stress level is going to start to change or or when do you see a time when you go from this type of stress back to what is already a stressful job? That may take some time because of course this is a pandemic. It's not going to resolve overnight. And I think that the only time the stress may go down, the stress levels may go down for healthcare professionals, especially nurses, is when they have a way to retain the staff, you know, incentives, the way to, to retain their current staff, but also to bring on new staff. But I think the other thing is, is how do we make sure that something like this disaster doesn't happen again? Yes, it's a pandemic, but what about a, having a disaster preparedness plan in place? We had Ebola, we had SARS happen before. This is, for, for those who went through that, this is a relived nightmare for those individuals. So they're saying, not again. What just happened? Not again. I thought we learned our lesson. That should have been our wake up call. But, if, but this is now our reality check. So in the future, if this happens again, we, you know, we can't afford to have that happen again. So many lives have been lost, lost. Um, so many individuals, colleagues of mine have gotten sick. So many of my colleagues have lost family members and friends to this disease. We can't afford to go through this any longer. So I think the stress level 
to go back down to what was uh, assumed as normal stress or acceptable stress is going to take some time. Thanks so much for for talking to me today. I I do want to finish by thanking you again for the work that you've done to keep us safe and literally put your lives and your mental health on the line to make sure that we can all know that if we or a family member goes into the hospital because of COVID, which is when it's very severe, that you are there to care for us. Thank you so much for having me on this show and um, please stay safe. But like I always say, you know, honestly, it's not a thank you that we want. The greatest thanks that we actually appreciate is if people just follow public health guidelines, are not anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. That is the greatest appreciation and thanks that we get. So thank you so much.